1: Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America College podcast, along with Aaron Fit, I am John Manuel. This is kind of part three of our kind of draft megapod, but we just decided we're going to give you that. Uh, we're going to stick to the colleges primarily this week uh, and this Monday's podcast. And then Aaron and I are going to hit you with another college and Southern California draft megapod later this week. So I'm very excited about that. I want to remind you that this Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by Atech, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECHSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbin and more on ATECHSports.com. ATECH, win every practice. Aaron Fitt, nobody won our rankings this week. We had a very difficult time and spent probably more time than we have all year deciding who the number one team in the country is. In fact, I'm very confident we spent more time deciding who number one is this week than we have in all the other rankings put together. And here we are in week 12. And it's just kind of the story of the season, Aaron, that there's no great team. And while we've only had two teams be number one, Florida and Florida State, this week the Seminoles almost fell from their perch. As we record this podcast, they're getting ready to play a Clemson in a Monday doubleheader. And uh, a one-in-three week. Not usually what keeps you at number one, Aaron, but kind of no one – was no one obvious to seize the throne.
0: That's right, and we – I think talked, John, probably about five candidates for number one, Florida State, South Carolina, Florida, Kentucky, and, and Oregon. I think all had at least some amount of support. At least they came up in, in this discussion.
1: That, that's correct.
0: Um, and you know, if you make a case for all of them. I mean you look at South Carolina. For them, the, the biggest case is momentum. You know, they've won – uh, they haven't lost a series now since since Florida way back in March. Since then, they've they've really taken care of business. I mean, the thing about South Carolina is they had the toughest part of their SEC schedule really in the beginning uh, with with Kentucky and Florida, and they lost those two series. And since then, they've kind of taken care of business against the you know the the teams that aren't the elites in the SEC. And then they'll they'll finish with another elite team next week at LSU so or against LSU. So um, you know it's uh, it's. It's, it's impressive what they've done. I mean, they have been hot. But uh, body of work, you know, they still have two series losses. Florida State still hasn't lost a series. Um, you know, we, you can talk about Florida. They certainly had a lot of a lot of uh, consideration here for number one. You look, again, the body of work. I mean, 18 and 10 against the top 25 is so loud. The fact that they're 3-0 against Florida State, that's loud. Uh, but, you know, they haven't played – as well, over the last six weeks, they're better lately. It seems like, but um, still, I mean, this, is, this team has lost three series. Uh, they're they're not in first place in, the, in their own conference. Uh, in fact, they're I think they're in fourth place, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're right. So, I think they're
1: in fourth place.
0: So I mean, you know, should a fourth place team be number one in the, the country? I mean, maybe they sure have an impressive resume. Uh, you can certainly make that case, but um, you know, again, there's there's flaws in all of these cases. I mean, in Kentucky has won series against South Carolina and LSU, lost a series to Florida. Uh, You know, they they only have two series losses. They've got a nice body of work as well. But, I mean, it's hard to separate these teams. And so we decided to stick with the team that had been number one, hadn't lost a series all year. This is the first losing week they've had. Um, We'll give them a chance to to win this series against Clemson this weekend, and then we'll reevaluate next week.
1: I think it's probably fair to say that we would have – Gone on and moved the Gamecocks to number one. If they had swept those first two games against Georgia, is that fair? I mean, I, I I know for me, it was really hard for me to move the Gamecocks to number one, considering they lost. I know it was a long time ago, but considering they've lost the head-to-heads to both Kentucky and Florida, that I, I mean, I know they're hotter, so they are ranked ahead of those two teams right now. But putting them at one would have been a lot easier if they'd won those two games against Georgia rather than uh, one in one weekend. That, that's how I felt. I think you were maybe a little bit closer to ranking the Gamecocks number one, but that to me that 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 13 inning loss yesterday kind of keeps them out of the top spot for me.
0: Yeah, it's that close, and and I was probably a little co- closer to. I think I lobbied for South Carolina, although I you know I came into the meeting a little uncertain, just like everybody else. I mean, I think it was one of those weeks where we all were hoping that somebody else would have the answer and, and convince the rest of the group, and then that right. just wasn't the case. Uh, but I mean, you know, I think. Uh, I think you're right. I mean, it's, uh, you know, if South Carolina had swept those two games against Georgia. You probably would have felt better about that. That would have made the difference. So that's how close it was.
1: In your mind, Aaron, on this hot streak that South Carolina has been on, is there one factor you would point to for why they've been the team that really has been, since those first two weeks, the only team in the SEC? They're the only team that hasn't lost since then. That 10 week span, they've won 10 straight weekends. What's been the key to that for South Carolina?
0: I think the the biggest thing that you have to, to mention is that their they're newcomers have gelled, you know, and, and coming into the year, that was the question with South Carolina is, you know, they've got all these new faces. How are they going to adjust to this level? I mean, it wasn't – it isn't the same team as last year, you know. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, rank them number one based on respect and all that stuff for what they've done in the past. <laughs> but, you know, Bobby Haney and Scott Wingo and, you know, um, Peter Mooney and all these guys that – have played such a key part in this are gone. I mean, there are some guys still here who are, were key parts, obviously, Roth and Price and Walker in particular, Marzilli. But, uh, you know, they needed the new guys to gel, and and I think they have. Tanner English, Joey Pancake, L.B. Dantzler, uh, Grayson Greiner. I mean, these guys have all come up with quite their their share of big hits here during the SEC play, and I think the pitching staff has, has gelled. Um, you know, it's still, uh, um, you know, they, they had the uh, – the question with Colby Holmes is, I think, uh, missing his start. I'm not sure what his status is right now. That's one thing to, to keep in mind. But, um, you know, Forrest Kumis, I know, had stepped into the rotation for them last week, um, and, uh, you know, I, I imagine, I don't know, I haven't actually checked if he, was, he would pitch. Would have pitched the third game of this weekend or it would have been Holmes. But, um, you know, this team, they just have a lot of pitching depth. I mean, that's a real asset for them. They can move guys into a lot of different roles. They've got Jordan Montgomery as a Starter. They could start Holmes or Kumis. Um Their bullpen is deeper, I think, than it was last year. You know, because you still have Price at the back, but you've got Evan Beal and you've got Tyler Webb and you know Logan Munson and all these all these guys on the right and left side. It's very versatile. Uh, I think that's the real asset for them.
1: Absolutely deeper bullpen. I can't imagine that it's better, but it's definitely deeper. Uh, last year with uh, JT and uh, Matt Price. is it Tyler or Taylor? I was John Taylor, was it not? Taylor. Yep. I always get Tyler and Taylor mixed up. But uh, John Taylor was just so good. You know how my affectation for submarine jokers. But, you know, to me, the big thing is, and we'll see in the postseason, if there's any closer in the country I'd want to have it, uh, in terms of resume, it would be Matt Price. I'm not sure which closer I'd take in the country. There are a lot of good options for that. But just does not feel I me. Mean, you look at a Matt Price with a 370 ERA, he's just not. I'm. Not, I'm never gonna doubt that guy in the postseason. I know they would. I know that team will go to war every single time with Matt Price. I know he's better out of their bullpen, but yeah, the scouting reports we have on him are just like scouts being like, I don't know how this guy does it, you know. But they said the same thing about uh, Michael Roth. So um, I still feel like South Carolina is, to me, until somebody beats them, they're the team to beat without a great team. Yeah. Without a great team out there. Um, I know that Florida is very talented and probably more talented from a pro perspective, at least in the upperclassmen. But, you know, you you mentioned it. uh, Tanner English has gotten going offensively. Uh, Grayson Griner has really gotten going offensively. Joey Pancake, I still think, you know, balls hit to him. You'd either take Haney or Mooney the last couple of years than Pancake if you're Ray Tanner. But right now with Christian Walker at first and the, the way he picks the ball over there. I think I'm still confident in Joey Pancake and that and that infield making uh, making plays. And, and LB Dantzler is a nice, uh, you know, six-hole, five-hole kind of guy to have. A big power guy who's you know he's hit six home runs in conference. So South Carolina, to me, because there's not a team to beat out there, an obvious team to beat. I still think South Carolina is a team to beat until somebody does it. Uh, I hate to invoke Ric Flair, but to be the man. You've got to beat the man. <laughs> and the Gamecocks are still the best thing going today. That, that's just the way I it agree, is. I so agree, John. I put them number I two. Do. And I think is very, like you said, Florida and Kentucky, in terms of their resume at three and four, is better. Rice's resume is strong. I think we believe in that team at five, really believe in their pitching, love their bullpen. Oregon resume at six, phenomenal. Baylor at seven. Yeah. Every team's allowed a hiccup. Uh, the difference is they got swept. Um, so that's a little bit different kind of hiccup, but let's let's go right there. Let's use that as a transition area into the Big 12 because I think we've had this, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast this year. I don't want to beat that dead horse, but the Big 12, and the Conference USA, we've talked about as being a weaker league and not a good weekend for Conference USA when you have East Carolina getting swept by Southern Miss, and that's great for Southern Miss, but, but it kind of hurts ECU's chances. That that league's a, got three bubble teams now instead of instead of one maybe. But in the Big 12, it feels like the Big 12. It was a good weekend for the Big 12, and then Oklahoma feels like they cemented themselves as a regional team by sweeping that Baylor series. Meanwhile, Oklahoma State and Texas both played swack teams out of conference. What's your prognosis? Is it are we are we going to say Oklahoma bubble in? or Are they safe in now that they swept this series against Baylor?
0: No, I still think it's bubble in because you know their RPI is still. Uh... I'm yeah, forty figure I'm looking at it as number forty eight. Forty eight. Yeah, it's in the forties. Uh they're still in fifth place in their conference. Um, you know, thirteen and ten with the in the league. It's not it's not a slam dunk. You know, they could falter down the stretch and find themselves on the wrong side of the bubble again. But I, I do like their chances right now. I mean, this was a, a really uh important series for them. I mean, they after losing the the Bedlam series the week before, this was make or break. And they really I mean, they aced it. You know, you sweep a team that was 18-0 in the league. That's it. I mean, you're in now. As long as you don't, you know, fall on your face. Here, they've got Samford coming up at home. It's a, it's a, it's a good Samford team, uh, but it's a series that they should win. And if they do, then yeah, I think they're in. Uh, but uh, Oklahoma State, you know, is still ahead of Oklahoma in the standings, but they're in the 70s in the RPI. I just don't see how that's gonna. There's no way it's gonna climb enough, even if they sweep Texas A&M. I don't think it's gonna climb up to bubble range. Uh, you know, power conference teams outside the top. Sixty? There's no chance. I mean, even if they're outside the top fifty, it's a, it's a long shot. Um, you know, it's just you do, you don't see power conference teams outside the top fifty get out large bids. It's it's one thing if you're St. John's and it's you know you've a you've a huge RPI disadvantage and you're in the fifties. You know, okay, you can give them a little bit of a, of a of a breathing room there, but you're in the Big Twelve. I mean, that's not going to be good enough.
1: Now, Aaron, on Oklahoma, I think I I, I think you make strong points about Oklahoma State. Strange things have happened in the Big 12 recently with with regard to the rankings. Uh, not the rankings, with regard to the, the uh, field of 64. I'll leave it at that. But uh, And it's been with those Oklahoma teams. It's been with teams from the Sooner State. Um, yeah. But real quick, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Stephen Okert, uh, this is kind of a big arm, big draft guy coming up big this weekend for Oklahoma with a couple of saves. And, oh, I guess a win and a save. seems like he's kind of become the moment of truth guy in the two – Really close games for excellent pitching by Oklahoma, especially considering that Baylor has been so opportunistic and so consistent in its its offensive capabilities this year. Were you surprised at all that that Oklahoma was able to uh, you know hold them to one run those first two games? And talk a little bit about the, yeah. about Oker?
0: Definitely, I was surprised. I mean, this is a very good offensive team, and Oklahoma has been up and down on the mound. But you know, I, I do think they're they're peaking at the right time. Uh, on the mound, and they've got I think five guys that they really trust, maybe six guys, uh, with Jordan John, who is, has become he's really stabilized their rotation I think in that Friday spot. You know he's uh, the guy who is probably the the least big big arm out of this group. I mean he's more of like a mid 80s um, movement guy with really good command pitchability. I mean he's a he's a winner, a guy that you like to have at the top of your rotation. Um, and then Jonathan Gray, you know the junior college transfer, took him a while to. I think adjusted the Division One level, but he's got a huge arm. I mean, he'll up there, 96 or maybe 97, um, and he's you know he's coming to his own as the number two guy. Um, and then Dylan Overton, the lefty, is is a proven commodity. Didn't pitch very well this weekend, but uh, a solid third guy certainly. Um, Damian Magnifico, of course, throws like a jillion miles an hour, and uh, he's you know. He, he pitched five and a third innings on, on Sunday and, and got the win. I mean, that was a, a big-time performance. Uh, and then Okert, who throws not quite a g- gajillion miles an hour, but he does run it up there at 97. We've heard reports that, that he's done that, and it's a serious power arm from the left side. It's good stuff. He is their moment of truth guy. You're right. Uh, and then they can back up, you know, follow those two flamethrowing guys with Jake Fisher, who's just kind of a soft-tossing, um, you know, guy throwing a little 72-mile-an-hour Slow curveball kind of thing, and and you know really uh, f- from what I uh, from what Coach Gottlieb told me this weekend, those Baylor hitters were way out in front on Fisher after after seeing Magnifico throwing you know 96 to 100 for five innings. All of a sudden you bring in this soft tossing guy, and it it really throws them off. So, um, that you know those five or six guys really, um, you know give Oklahoma confidence, and, and their lineup, I think, has materialized. Um, they're, they are a solid team. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to necessarily see Oklahoma as, as a three-seed in my regional, I'll tell you that.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, their pitching is dangerous, and not as a team, I know they weren't – they didn't live up to expectations last year, but I, I can't get out of my head two years ago where that team was very dangerous on the road and played with a lot of confidence, and um, you know, I can't get that out of, my, out of my head. I think Oklahoma is very dangerous. I think, like you said, they they would almost be the three-seed excuse me, that I would least like to see in my regional. Uh, Baylor and Texas next weekend, Aaron. Uh, Hard to imagine the Bears, the way they've played this year, would lose two weekends in a row. But does Texas have to win that series to stay in the bubble? I mean, you're talking about power conference teams in the 50s with RPI. Well, that's the Longhorns. And it feels like as tightly bunched as that conference is, I would not want to be the fifth-place team in that conference unless our Oklahoma, which is the last team that uh, you know that they, they just came off a sweep of Baylor. I mean, that's a nice thing to have in your back pocket if you're Oklahoma. I mean, that feels like a must-win series for the Longhorns.
0: It very well might be for just the reasons we talked about. The RPI uh, for Power Conference team, you know, they're sitting at, what, number 50 right now? Uh, um, boy, that's uh, that's bubble. That's really bubbleicious right there. Um, and they've <laughs> lost, they've lost their last two series against A&M in Missouri. now, if they finish the series with three straight series losses in an RPI in the 50s, um, I don't know that they get in. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, it, it it feels so inconceivable that Texas could miss a regional. You know, it feels like well. Surely they'll they'll find a way to get in there. Maybe they'll make some noise in the conference tournament. Whatever, um, but you know it's not a slam dunk, and that's that's kind of weird.
1: <laughs> it's really weird. I don't think it's happened in the 21st century. Uh, they've missed regional. Yeah. I think it's happening. 1999 is the last year they missed regional. So uh, very strange. Obviously, all these teams still have the conference tournament to play, and a lot can change uh, in the conference tournament. But the, the Baseball America College Podcast, and, and John and Aaron, go ahead, Aaron. I was just going inter-
0: to interject here that all of a sudden, you know, Texas is. Uh, is depleted, too, on the mound. I mean, you lost two big arms in your freshman class in back-to-back days this week uh, with a season-ending injury for Parker French, and then they had to dismiss Ricky Jacques. Um, You know, I mean, that's, uh, you know, two guys that they were counting on. And they moved Corey Knable into a starting role against Texas Southern this weekend, and he, of course, handled that with a plum because he's Corey Knable. That's right. Uh, But, uh, you know, all of a sudden, their staff is is two guys less deep. um, And, uh, you know, that's something else to keep in mind.
1: That's a real shame. Uh I did not know the Ricky Haquez uh, news, but obviously that's uh I I, we, I think we knew that uh, French had had some time earlier this year with an injury, had he not? He'd missed some time. I thought he had, maybe I'm wrong, but Ricky Haquez, I mean I saw that guy tournament stars. I have not seen him in college. Yeah. That dude I, you know me, I love little dudes with big arms. Uh and that's Ricky Hawkes, uh, with a with a with a real breaking ball, so we'll see that so you guy, know, uh we'll see that guy the, at the junior college near you, I suppose. Yeah. And the question with Ricky Hawkins has always been the
0: makeup. Frankly, I mean, I yep, I hate yep. to say it, but I had a I had a scout predict to me that he wasn't going to get through his first year at Texas uh, thing on that team, and that looks prophetic.
1: It really does. I mean, and the thing is, I'm just looking at Mark Rosner. Uh, met him last year in Omaha. I love Mark Rosner. Good follow on Twitter, uh, the Austin American Statesman uh, at Mark Rosner AAS. And if you're lucky enough to talk NBA basketball with Mark Rosner, do it. The guy's on it. <laughs> he knows the NBA, frontwards and backwards. But uh, yeah, he lists who's left for this team. They still have – it still looks – I wouldn't say formidable. but It still looks like a regional team to me, Aaron, with Thornhill, Dylan Peters, the freshman, Knable, and a bullpen of Dishari, who has experience I and mean, hasn't been really in high-leverage games this year, John Curtis, and then Hobie Milner kind of lurking back there. Is this the return of Hobie Milner for Texas now?
0: Yeah, maybe so. Maybe he moves back in, into the rotation and uh you know, he's an experienced guy. He started before. Um I think there he's probably a really key piece. He needs to step up and really um you know, live up to some of the expectations I think that he's had throughout his career. Uh, they need him now. You know, he needs to be their guy, I think.
1: Yeah, it feels like he's their moment of truth guy in the bullpen. If They're moving Canable into the rotation. I feel like uh Colby Milner's that veteran presence there and he's He's done that role before, both for them. He's thrived in summer ball with that role. I know Bill Pintard loves him in that role for the Santa Barbara Santa Barbara Foresters. So it's uh, a Baseball America podcast with John and uh, Aaron. It's a little bit different. I love the Foresters. A little different, uh, as Justin Simmons once told me, when you play for Texas, you've got that X in the middle of your chest. I mean, you're the target, and uh, even if you're in third place in the in the Big 12, that target is still right there with that X in Texas. Don't mess with Texas. So uh, Baseball America podcast, John and Aaron. Aaron, not a lot of movement in the rankings from 10 to 17. I did want to touch on the Pac-12, where a lot of those teams reside. Tough weekend for the Cal Bears. Looks like they're out of the running for a postseason bid. They get swept by Arizona, Uh, Oregon, Arizona, UCLA, Stanford. That's Oregon in first place. Arizona, a game back of them. UCLA, two games back. Stanford, three games back. We finally have some separation within oregon state four games back it's felt all year like that's how we've ranked those teams oregon arizona ucla stanford that in some permutation but that's kind of how it's been lately and that's how we have them in our rankings now with the exception of ucla slightly ahead of arizona because the non-conference body of work has been so much better it doesn't feel and it feel like that's it like you know u-dub wazoo cal southern cal those teams aren't going to postseason as it look like right now. Are they? Any of those teams going to postseason?
0: Well last week I had Washington in, uh, because they had uh, you know, they had won a couple of straight series, they hadn't gotten swept all year, uh, they had a pretty good RPI, but then they go and get swept at home by UCLA and now their RPI is back down to the fifties and you know, they're probably looking like a bubble out team. Um, I don't think they're done yet. I think they out of all, all these other teams still have a chance. But they're at Arizona State this weekend. You know, you wouldn't expect them to win that series. And if they don't, then, then I think the hole's probably too big to, to dig out of. So, uh, you know, they have an opportunity going down to Tempe. But, um, you know, I, I think at this point it's likely to forecast they will not be a regional team. So, yeah, you're looking at five teams out of the Pac-12 uh, because Arizona State is ineligible. And, and I kind of – coming into the year, I wondered – I think I might even mention this in my preseason 64 projection – I wondered if Arizona State being ineligible would hurt the Pac-12 because you know they were going to be one of the top five or six teams in the league. It seemed like a pretty safe bet, uh, and so they were going to win their share of games in the league at the expense of other teams. So you know that's that's one fewer team that you can send to regionals, really.
1: You did. No, I remember you talking about that. I think you talked about that in an early podcast as well. And then you have USC, which is really just falling on hard times. The two losses at Oregon, swept by U uh, Dub. Um, I guess it did. Yeah, you know, they did win that series at the end of the of April against Oregon State, but it feels like the Trojans would almost have to like do the unthinkable and sweep yeah. Arizona and UCLA to get into postseason. And I I just don't think that's going to happen for a, a plucky Trojans team under Frank Cruz. But just does not feel like uh, they've got they have it in them. Um, Aaron, they're done. I think they're done. I think they're done. Let's talk about a couple other teams that have moved up in our rankings uh, in recent weeks. Feels like Virginia's kind of been a little stealthy here lately, mm. so allow us to train of the Atlantic Coast Conference. But the Cavaliers, uh, you know, they haven't—they don't have a real big statement series, I guess, except for the Miami series. Um, but Virginia and Clemson are the two teams that have been uh, moving on up in the Atlantic Coast Conference. Let's let's start with Virginia. Um, this is a program whose identity is built on pitching. And it feels like even though they don't quite have the same arms they've had in the past. Big weekend series went at home against Georgia Tech. Both teams needed it. Virginia got it. What allowed Virginia to be greater than Georgia Tech?
0: Uh, I think they're better. You know, I mean, it's, yeah. I think it's that simple. Um, they uh, this team has has really come together at the right time. And we've talked about um, you know about uh, how they were kind of a young team coming into the year. They had some questions. Answer and and you know like like some of these other teams we've talked about like South Carolina in some ways uh, like Oklahoma I mean it's just it took some time for some of their new guys to gel but I really like their bullpen you know that jumps out to me with Virginia uh, and we saw it this weekend after Brandon Klein struggled you had Kyle Crockett and Nick Howard and Justin Thompson come in and, and really shut down the Yellow Jackets and relief and then the the same three guys did the same thing the next day so you know that they tried to bring Thompson back for a third day on on Sunday and it burned them they ended up losing that. That lead late, but still, I I really like their bullpen. I think that's a, a strength for Virginia, and and I think stealthy is the right word for the Cavaliers because they've kind of quietly gotten themselves right into the thick of this hosting mix. And you know, this didn't feel like um, that kind of a team for, for the first half of the season. It didn't. You know, you wouldn't have thought Virginia had a chance to host, but here they are. are they're, they're number 12 in the RPI. Uh, they're 16-11 their league. You know, 34 and 15 overall. Um, they're 15 and 10 in the top 50. They've got a lot of things in their favor here. Um, and, you know, there's other teams that have kind of faltered. The SEC teams, Arkansas had been in the mix. They've fallen off. Um, Ole Miss has been up and down. I would put Virginia ahead of Ole Miss in the pecking order. Correct. Um, you know, it's uh, you're looking at a few spots. Uh, you know, the last hosting spots, it probably comes down to Virginia, Texas A&M, who, you know, has helped themselves, I think, a little bit the last couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe one of those Pac-12 teams like in Arizona or Stanford, UCF. I mean, you know, it, it's it's still it's still a little bit crowded in that field, but Virginia has really worked themselves into the thick of that discussion.
1: I agree, and uh, i got to give a well, you know, the other thing. I think you nailed it with the bullpen. Um, Justin Thompson, you know, his older brother, Jacob Thompson, I was never a big Jacob Thompson guy. I had a great senior year, but then you, you get the scouting reports on this guy coming into his junior year, and they were not all that hot and he wasn't good as a junior he had a great career at virginia but you know i wasn't kind of on him from a draft perspective justin thompson's kind of the opposite i don't think he's really ever been considered a prospect i don't know that he is now but what a what a senior year this guy's had uh he's really been tremendous out of their bullpen like you said he blew it yesterday and every three days in a row hey i don't blame him even on saturday he walked three guys um but you know shane halley uh uh, has blazed through the sky with a nine and one record this year. I can't believe I just made a <laughs> Haley's Comet r- a reference on it, but I did it and I just did it again. Um, I should make it more like he's rocked own it, around John, the clock. Own it. He's rocked around the clock this year. How about that? Uh, right. Bill Halley. Um, one of your first rock and roll songs, but, uh, and then to me, you have Holly, he's Halley, who's a senior, Kyle Crockett, who's an experienced sophomore. I think we all remember him doing his, uh, <laughs> Doing his uh, best imitation of Danny Hulton last year when when Hulton uh, came out of the game. But those two guys are versatile relievers for them. They've got to get more out of Brandon Klein if they're going to go deep in the postseason. The other thing that, that, that's happened for them is that while Jared King is really slumped, he was their offense in the first half of the year. I think an ACC team play, teams have determined they're not going to let that guy beat them. But Derek Fisher's come on. He's been a power plant for them as a freshman. And Steven Bruno, just a just a good college player. Five nine ish some strength, uh defensive versatility, but also you know, quite good defensively. Once he I think has gotten used to third base. Uh and the guy's hitting three sixty five I mean, he's had a really loud year for them offensively. Makes a lot of hard contact. And uh I do want also I know they didn't win the series, I know they're not headed necessarily. So I guess Georgia Tech's really more of like a bubble out team right now, aren't they? in at eleven and sixteen in the league. I know they have some nice wins against uh you know, Georgia recently but twenty eight RPI, but ah, I just feel like they're bubble out to me at eleven and sixteen. In in a vacuum
0: I think they would be, but uh in a in a world where we have a hard time getting the sixty four teams, I think they're probably still gonna be in for me this week. Um, you know, because they do have the RPI and um, you know, they've got to put telling somebody you, in hard. Yeah. I mean, you know, Washington dropped out this week, you know, we talked about uh um yeah, you know, the I don't know. It's just
1: hey, they have Miami this weekend. They have Miami this weekend. If they win that series with the Miami with an RPI at 16, they're gonna they're gonna say they win the series. say they go two and two and one, and they win the Mercer game. They have a three and one week. They're gonna be like 33 and 19 and 13 and 17 in the league with an RPI in the mid 20s, and they're gonna get in unless they yeah. bomb in the ACC tournament. I think you're right. I want to give a little shout out to Georgia Tech. You I mean, uh, know, on uh, to the, their their moment of truth guy, Alex Cruz. This is a guy. Here's a guy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Alex Cruz was recruited as an infielder. I know he did some pitching. I know there's not a real standout pitch. I've talked to the the people in the H C about him, and I I seem to recall there's a lot of stuff in my head with the draft this time of year. I think he's a three-pitch guy with a pretty good slider and a pretty good changeup and a fastball right in that 88 to 90 range. But this guy's been their moment of truth pitcher for a long time now uh, this season. They went to him twice this weekend. Uh, they extend him. They go to him at the end of games. Um, they're just so, just uh, you know, outside of Buck Farmer, that team's pitching staff is pretty much just duct tape and a bail and wire, and nothing has worked out the way they expected it. I would say that coming into the year, their top three arms are Buck Farmer, Luke Bard, and Matt Grimes. They haven't had Grimes for a couple months. They haven't had Bard for a month and a half. Uh, Dusty Isaacs. Who uh, was one of their other starters? Has been shelled most of the year. They've had uh, a lot of up and down freshmen like Cole Pitts and uh, I forget a Hedinger, Josh Hedinger. Uh, Zane Evans is one of their guys they want to use, but he's also their catcher. Their other catchers haven't really stepped forward, so they've and they've they've had to. Uh, they've been limited in how you could deploy Zane Evans on the mound, so they needed someone to come through, and they planned for it to be DeAndre Smelter big-time recruit out of Georgia two years ago. He hasn't really come through on his potential yet, and so they needed somebody, and it's been Alex Cruz. and They haven't maybe had enough help for him, but if they don't make it to postseason, it's not because Alex Cruz hasn't been one of the real step-forward guys in the ACC as far as kind of coming to the forefront. Speaking of that, uh, this weekend, North Carolina gets a sweep against Duke NC State uh, with a big series at Virginia Tech. Aaron, uh, I think we know the story with the Wolfpack, but that's a big series road win for them. The Kind of the step forward guy I was going to mention was for North Carolina, Shane Taylor. I know it's Duke. Duke has not been very good. Has not been very offensive this year. But, uh, you know, Shane Taylor with eight scoreless innings to finish off that uh, series for the Tar Heels. Pretty big sweep for North Carolina just to – they're making hay with this part of the schedule, it feels like, Aaron. And uh, it feels like them and NC State – are they lock regional hosts right now? Yeah,
0: I think so. I think certainly North Carolina is, and NC, yeah, I mean they both they're both very safe. I mean even if even if NC State gets swept at Florida State this coming weekend, uh, they're sitting there at 18 and 12 in the league with a you know with an RPI comfortably inside the top 16 still. I would think. I mean it's uh, they're, I would think they're both locks to host, and North Carolina is in very good shape to be a national seed. Um, so yeah, they're, I think the ACC. See, you're looking at three hosts with maybe four. I mean, Virginia, um, right. you know, really, really a possibility. Um, and and it's, you know, we're, we're talking about probably one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or eight regional teams. I mean, Virginia Tech and is like like, like Georgia Tech is right on the bubble. I mean, if both those teams finish poorly, John, um, you know, let's say Virginia Tech um, goes to North Carolina this week and, and wins one out of three, you know, then you're, you're 12 and 18 in the league. I don't know. I mean, I don't know yeah. about the 12 and 18 team, the ACC getting in, uh, and and Georgia Tech, ditto. They're 11 and 16 right now. You know, they they've got to win that series. I think if you're 13 and 17, yeah. it's a little, it's a little more uh, manageable. Than, I agree. Than 12 I, almost, and 18. I feel
1: like that's the borderline area. Like you could even be five games if you lose a game. I think it can be five games under 500 in the league, like of the SEC or the ACC or the Pac-12. Maybe probably not Pac-12 because they never give those teams a break, but. And the ACC or the SEC, with the way the RPI works, I feel like it can be four or five games under. Wasn't even Oklahoma State that year, what, 11 and 16, something like that?
0: Oh, they were 9 and 17. 9 and 17.
1: Yeah, I shouldn't have brought that up. (laughs) Uh, I should not have brought that up. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. If I think of that for one more second, my head will explode. Uh, The other team that's kind of down there, Aaron, that maybe we need to keep an eye on. For me, um, was UCF, and then it went and move them up. I, I wanted to mention is that we have UCF against Rice for all the marbles in Conference USA. Conference USA, Aaron. I'm just not impressed. I- I'm not impressed with this league. You have Southern Miss sweep the Pirates this weekend. East Carolina. Tulane has is a team that has gotten hot of late. Their RPI is not exactly in great shape. First off, let's let's talk about the good in this league. Uh, Rice, UCF, who do you like in that this weekend? And and which team? I know we have a pretty big spread among those two teams in our rankings, but they feel pretty similar to me.
0: Well, you know, first of all, I can't bet against the Owls in Conference USA. I just can't do it, you know, and and I know this is at UCF, and UCF is very good this year. Um, You know, I think they're a legit, you know, uh, a threat to win a regional and, and maybe, you know, get to Omaha. It could happen. Uh, but uh, the Owls are so much better in the mound. You know, these teams are constructed differently. I still think UCF is the more dangerous offensive team, Uh, but, but Rice has come together in the mound. I mean, um, you know, Matthew Reckling got back on track this week after a one week hiccup. Um, Austin, Fitsa has really emerged for them as they, as they hoped he would. And that's, Boy, I mean, what a testament to the coaching staff at Rice. You know, I mean, I this guy was lost. This guy was lost for the first four, five, six weeks of the season. He was not him. He was just nowhere near the guy that we saw last year. And they, they, you know, they yanked him and and kind of reset him and said, hey, we're gonna get this thing sorted out. And they have. And now he's back. Uh, and it's it's pretty impressive.
1: I mean, I mean, all the haters on Rice and the way they develop pitching should just, I mean, this is almost like a straw man argument, but actually it's not. We know we've seen lots of haters of of Rice pitching, but man, Wayne Graham knows what he's doing, dude. He is so good, and that coach, I I, I shouldn't just put on Coach Graham, but the whole staff, like you said, but I I guess another example, they know their players, and they know how to get the best out of their players. And the, the one thing I will say, I know we love the Rice bullpen, and it's better then pretty much it's, it's, in the, it's in the discussion for best bullpens in the country. I'll give UCF a little credit for oh, – more than a little credit. That's a pretty good bullpen, and there's not a lot of teams that have a one-two punch like Joe Rogers and Roman Madrid. Roman Madrid, he's a nice little sleeper, like seven to ten round draft joker, and uh, mm. here's a little six-foot-one right-hander out of a Texas junior college. I bet you the guys at Rice have seen him. I bet you they know him. That could be a nice little subplot going forward in this weekend series, Aaron. But I believe Roman Madrid went to McLennan, J.C. And here's a guy who we've had some velos of 94-95. Nice little slide piece. Uh, I've I've been told there are cross-checkers going in there to see UCF games late. Not early, but late so mm. they can catch the bullpen guys and see, you know, I think everyone knows what, about D.J. Hicks. He's a good college hitter with left-handed power. Going to get a shot to go out this year. Uh, not a premium guy. And then you look at Sweeney at short, who could have been a premium guy, hasn't really had a season offensively. Ronnie Richardson, I think, is in that 5-8 to eight mix in the draft, but also just a guy who uh, has made himself into a really better college player, Aaron, as far as he, he takes a dose. I think he's got 26 hit-by-pitches so he knows how to take a dose and wear it and get the first base. And, and then he can, he can be a factor on the bases. He steals bases more efficiently than he has in the past, and he's more of a factor running the bases. It's a kind of a by any means necessary get-on-base guy. They're a dangerous team, so if they can, you know, they really haven't had consistent starting pitching, Who who's their weekend guys now? Is Matulis one of them? Is it lively? I mean, it feels like you know, they're just in the high hand when it comes to pitching, right, when it comes to starting pitching.
0: Yeah, it, it does – it seem exactly like that, you know. I think Lively for a while had really gone through a stretch where he was very consistent on Friday nights, had been their guy. It seemed like he'd given them an anchor, and then this week uh, he struggled, gave up six runs, um, you know. And then they have Brian Adkins, who's kind of the, the most experienced guy in this staff, the pitchability, you know, veteran, not a, not a big stuff guy, but um, you know, he's generally a guy you can count on uh but he didn't pitch well this weekend either he gave up five runs took a loss on saturday against marshall um but you know so those are, those are kind of the, the key guys they're counting on and Then they went to ray hansen i mean they have shuffled around that rotation a lot uh um you know hansen wasn't the answer on sunday so i don't know what they're going to do on the mound but um you know and that's the thing is that's a, to me there's still a separator it's rice now you know when they're shuffling their weekend rotation around um it's hey let's move john sims to sunday you know a guy right. with the with with filthy stuff and he goes out there and and you know really got the job done pitch very well on, on Sunday and uh, and and it still doesn't hurt their bullpen cuz they've just got so many arms back there between um you know uh, between JT Shagwa and Tyler Duffy and Taylor Wall and you know on and on it's just it's just a great group back there so I How still think is, that's what, a separator. What is Taylor but.
1: Wall like a 90 year sophomore or something like that there. I mean that guy's been there forever <laughs> it feels like you know I think he was I think Taylor Wall relieved Justin Crowder in a game in Omaha in 2002 so um it's a deep cut nice. there. Very nice. Deep cut there. Uh, but, yeah, UCF, uh, it's not good when the theme of your weekend rotation is every day I'm shuffling. That's that's pretty much what they're doing. Uh, I'm dropping some random pop culture references there. Aaron, uh, last part of the podcast, finally, e- uh, Appalachian State gets to the rankings. I, I guess I glossed right over East Carolina and Tulane, but still feel that those two teams have a shot. Uh, East well, Carolina's RPI is high enough that if they don't fall on their face next yeah. weekend, they will probably get it in Tulane. It feels like I mean they're in the mid 50s. You know they're just they're just like uh, Madonna. They're borderline every every week. They're borderline. i feel
0: like I'm, a, feel like I'm gonna lose my mind, John. <laughs> but I mean right. I'll tell you. But I mean I, but seriously, I had to put Tulane in the field last week, and their case is very borderline. You know, and I thought they were done when they got swept by UCF at home uh, back in uh, April 20th to 22nd. I thought that was their their death knell. But since then, you know they they. They won a series at East Carolina. They swept Southern Miss. Uh, I mean, you know, it's not sweeping Southern Miss isn't like it usually is because Southern Miss is always a regional team. This year they won't be unless they win the conference tournament. Um, but, but still, I mean, that has helped them at least get the RPI back within striking distance. But, you know, now they've got Marshall for three games. That's not going to help them in the RPI. I mean, they, this team, I think, needs uh, a strong showing in the conference tournament um, because right it's now it's man, just, though. again, yeah. it's a very borderline case.
1: Yes, and uh, speaking of Madonna, the beautiful stranger to our top 25 rankings is App State. And the Mountaineers, I believe this is the first time they've been ranked, or did we do that earlier this year?
0: No, this is the first time.
1: 36 and 12, uh, like a virgin, to our top 25 poll. It's App State. I God went help there. Me. I went there. And, uh, you know, the Mountaineers, Aaron, we kind of were a little wait and see when they went down to LSU. When I wrote that column and talked to Coach, uh, I can't remember, it was Coach Pritchett, I believe is his name. <laughs> I know he was used to be at five foot. he's at a great job with their pitchers. And when you talk to SoCon coaches and scouts about their team, they focus on the pitching there. And of course, you and I know that Bob Zupcic's kid is there, <laughs> Taylor Zupcic. They lost right. that series of right when we were about to rank them uh, in March. They lost that series at Elon, two out of three. Um, but it appears Aaron, and then soon after that, they lost that series at Georgia Southern. They haven't lost one since then. And this weekend, they go on the road at a team that had been very hot in Sanford and win that series, a senior weekend for Sanford, which has got a big schedule coming up. And we like Sanford's talent. Um but the bullpen, you know, guys like Nathan Hyatt uh and that offense come through for App State um and, and win that series and beat uh, Lex Rutledge on Sunday night. Got the one of the last runs off Lex Rutledge and, and uh, the, the submariner Vanderheyden for Sanford. So AppState feels like they're kinda of for real. Their resume, Aaron, is quite impressive.
0: Yeah, it is, you know, and, and Chris Pollard and his staff have Thank done a really you. nice job building this program. You're welcome. Uh building this program, you know, over the years. I mean, it's. I think it is a program that has had positive momentum for a while, and um, you know they've been kind of on the verge of, of a breakout. And this year is one of those years where the, it, it was everything kind of pointed to this season for them. You know, a lot of veterans. We talked about this before this year about how much it matters to have upperclassmen, um, and, and you know they've got a lot of them. And uh, it's a very good offensive team. They do have some power. Um, and Daniel you know, Kusev, and, among
1: your lead leaguers, national leaders at home runs. That guy's been. He's kind of done it for them all year from a, from a power standpoint.
0: Exactly, you know, but it's but it's one of those teams that can beat you, you know, one through nine. They've got some guys with some pop that can surprise you a little bit. Uh, with the exception, I guess, of Brandon Burris, who's really a nice on base guy, uh, kind of a catalyst for them. But um, you know, they're they're we've talked about their their I think we talked about their weekend rotation before. And Seth Grant, Ryan Harrowwood and um, you know Rob Mar- Marcello. it's a really strong, strong trio. You know, they're just really Really solid competitive guys that give you a chance to win every week, and and they do some depth in the bullpen, which they showed this weekend. And um, yeah, I think they're I think they're pretty good. You know, I think they're legitimately uh, a good club, and they could be looking at a two seed to regional.
1: I mean, I would expect to see them if they're a two seed. If they if they play through, they're going to be a, a two seed. Still sounds like Elon is a, an at large team, maybe in that 54 RPI. Yeah. Or is Elon falling off the bubble, Aaron?
0: I think they have slid off the bubble. I. I I really kind of held my nose and put them in last week because, again, I, I couldn't get to 64. But, you know, that was with the caveat that they needed to finish strong, and that included, for me, a win at East Carolina this past week, and they didn't get that done. So, to me, that was how close they were to the edge. Now I've, I've got them off. I and mean, they're 28 and 24. They're in the 50s. Uh, you know, really, the, the thing's been propping them up all years. They won series against App in College of Charleston and, and Samford, the three teams ahead of them in the standings. But, you know, they've also lost series to teams that they shouldn't have lost series to. Um, you know Wofford, um, you know right. Western Carolina, which is a solid club, but you know you got to win that home series uh, at Furman. I mean, you know those those series kind of cancel out the, the good series. So and and Davidson also they lost the series to them. So so
1: the SoCon, um, SoCon really could be a two bid league potentially, not a, yeah, necessarily. I a think Samson, it probably, I think probably
0: will be. Yeah, it probably will be a two bid league unless somebody else wins a conference tournament besides App or Charleston.
1: Because yeah, you have Sanford with Oklahoma and Florida their last four games. I suppose some crazy thing could happen. They could win two of those four games or three of those four games. I'm not even going to say sweep, but their RPI is in the 63 range. And just so that the rest of the team, the league has almost kind of beat up, beat itself up enough that you're looking at App State, East Carolina from the Conference USA, and College of Charleston as those likely two seeds there and at Raleigh, Chapel Hill, and Columbia, right?
0: Yeah, and Charleston might, I think, is more like a three seed at this point. You know, okay. The RPI is back down to the mid 40s, um, but uh, you know, in fact, they're probably right. They're probably back on the bubble after this weekend losing a series to to UNC Asheville at home. Um, I mean, that's a that's a tough blow now. And I left, uh, I, but, left uh,
1: uh, I left Coastal out of that mix that I should not have.
0: Yeah, Coastal certainly is is in even if they don't win their conference tournament. Um, you know, they've they've managed to hold on even after losing Josh Conway. They haven't really. Um, you know, they haven't really had a hiccup. I mean, they they've got some depth on their pitching staff, but you know, this week's just a two and two weekend. Michigan and, and Winthrop, not a great great week. Uh, but I'm um, so I'm so curious to see how Coastal you know finishes here. But I'll tell you, they're definitely not as imposing as if they're if they're your two seed in a regional or, or three even. Um, you know, without Josh Conway, they they don't look as, as scary because he's their best guy.
1: Yeah, I think uh, to keep it in the pop uh, song vein, just trying to hold on for one more day. I can't believe I just watched that Bridesmaid movie recently, so I have had uh, Wilson Phillips on the brain. I always thought one of the Phillips was good-looking. I can't remember which one, but uh, that's neither here nor there. It's a random podcast with John and Aaron. Let's wrap up, Aaron. Uh, Please save me for myself. This weekend... This weekend – well, it's not even this weekend. Still, We have to, still have to wait two weeks for the Big West showdown of Long Beach State and uh, Fullerton, and I, you got to give it up to Rick Vanderhook. Fullerton's just been so consistent, Aaron. I know they haven't been really tested in their league. I know the rest of the Big West is kind of down, but uh, you we're just talking about these other teams. Everyone else, most every other league ha- has their hiccups, whether it's the Gamecocks, the Gators, the Wildcats, whoever – but, uh, you know, even in Conference USA, I mean, UCF and Rice have had their hiccups. Uh, not so Cal State Fullerton. They just uh, – uh, correct me if I'm wrong, they their only serious loss of the year is at Florida, which I believe uh, we can allow. Uh, it's been a pretty great season yeah. for – pretty great first season for Rick Vanderhoek in that club.
0: Oh, oh yeah. I mean, you know, I'll tell you what. This guy's got to be in the mix for Coach of the Year. I just need
1: to say the same thing.
0: To do what he's done with this team, I mean, it's a very – ordinary team talent wise and they play their butts off and uh, they respond to every button he pushes i've seen it happen time and time again this year where they'll lose a game uh, and look bad doing it and he'll be pissed off and he'll (laughs) read his team the riot act and they respond you know he he he, the lineup moves that he's made have worked i mean he came into the year you know he said back in the fall well you know i really want to establish some consistency in the lineup but i don't want to move guys around i just want to let them let him play, but he hasn't been able to do that because, um, for various reasons, he's just had to, had to coach. You know, with every <laughs> with every bit of energy he's got, and, and you know, pull every string in order to to get the right recipe. Um, and, and it and it has worked. You know, and now they've they've really got. They do have some consistency in the weekend rotation. It's, it's uh, between with Dylan Floro and Kenny Matthews and, and Graham Wiest, three guys that they they like. They're comfortable with. They're strike throwers. Mm-hmm. Give them a chance to win every game. The bullpen has come on. I mean, you've got a guy at the back, Michael Lorenzo now who's got 15, 16 saves. Um, you, you know, he's a two-way year. guy. Yeah, he really is. He's a, he's a great player and uh, you know, he's he's certainly one of the one of the most valuable players in college baseball because of the the contributions he makes on both sides of the ball.
1: Aaron, let's uh real quick, let's wrap with this. I'm going to throw out some some coaches' names for coach of the year candidates. You tell me, if they're in the conversation or not in the conversation, I'm starting with Mike Martin. I know they're number one, yes. but the Mike Martin, I mean, again, I think I've said this all year, probably no coach more taken for granted in college baseball than Mike Martin because they've been so consistent and because they haven't won it in, the, in Omaha yet. But for me, he's the top of my list. He's to the top of my here. list, too. Yep. Okay. My other candidates include, but not limited to, Hookie. We just talked about him. Right? Yes. George Horton? Absolutely. Uh, To me, that's the top tier. I I would say the next tier of guys after that would include some program-building guys who I think deserve some credit. Uh, I would include Rob Childress, Terry Rooney, Doug Schreiber, Chris Pollard, kind of in that discussion.
0: Sure. I mean, Gary Henderson you could throw in there too. He's done a nice job with Kentucky.
1: The reason I left Gary out of that is just that prior to this year, they had not even been a regional team. And I would say that uh, Doug Schreiber is kind of in that same boat, but I think it's a little bit different at Purdue than in Kentucky where Gary Henderson was handed a program that was in pretty good shape. So for me, I wouldn't quite put him in this conversation yet, but that's just me. Um, Is there anybody else who is in that conversation for you? I I know it's early. A lot of things could change. Not early, but a lot of things can change in the next two, three weeks here. But anybody else in that mix for you? Am I leaving out an obvious candidate?
0: I think that's it. I think you've pretty much nailed it. I think those are the guys. I mean, I you know, I think Steve Smith has done a good coaching job this year, but I, I don't think um, that I would put him in quite in this category.
1: I agree. When you uh, fire a coach, when you when you reassign a coach the day before the season starts, something like that, yeah. I don't like to reward that personally. What they do on the uh, field is different, but for me, coach of the year. You win the Coach of the Year when you don't uh, have turmoil like that. That's just the bottom line for me.
0: I, I have to agree. I mean, I wasn't going to necessarily say that, but I, right. I agree. I think that that is the fly in the ointment of his hey, candidacy.
1: We don't know what happened with him, and Mitch Thompson. Uh, we don't know what happened, and you know, Baylor has been very mum about it. And they've given us enough of another storyline that it's not one that you really focus on or talk about that much. But I think we have enough other enough other candidates. You don't give it to a guy. To to a guy. Coach of the Year is not a guy who uh, let go of one of his trusted assistants, you know, for 18 years right before the season started. So that's that's how I view it. During I, the I, season,
0: John. It was during the season.
1: So I, to me, that's very fair. I, I think he's. I, I think he's not going to win that award. It's our award, and we yeah. can make our own rules, and <laughs> that's why he's not going to win the award. Elliot Avent. Does Elliot Avent get in there?
0: Yeah, sure. Throw Elliot's name in the mix. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, that's uh You know, again, it's the program that. Uh, um they they really, you know, they kinda of hit the lottery with that recruiting class, but you gotta give them credit for getting that class to campus and now they're they're really sitting pretty going forward. I mean you gotta like where that program is, is at right now.
1: I really do. And uh I I've never I don't think I've ever had a time where I have uh looked forward to going to games at N C State as much as I have this year. I haven't gone to one recently I guess I went to one a week and a half ago. Well, I guess it was a Duke series. I don't know how long ago that was, but I'll tell you what, um, Assistant Coach of the Year, <laughs> that, that's a, a much different discussion, but Chris Hart, when you're a recruiting coordinator and you bring in a freshman class like that, you get on the radar for Assistant Coach of the Year pretty doggone quick. So that's that's how you want to know how yeah. you get Assistant Coach of the Year? That's how. Be recruiting coordinator and bring Rodon, Thomas, and Rutledge, and Jernigan, and Fincher, and all those guys to campus. That's yeah. that's going to do it for you. Turner, me. I think you meant. Yeah, uh, what did I call him, Thomas? Thomas. That was like a 350-pound NFL offensive lineman who was Trey Thomas. And why I <laughs> mixed him up with a 170-pound greyhound whippet of a third baseman like Trey Turner is beyond me. And yet, I have done that consistently all year. Just don't get it, Aaron. Aiding at
0: least we solved the at least we solved the Ratledge Jernigan mix up. I think you've got that one down.
1: I think I've got that one down. But uh, where are you headed this weekend uh, for the season? Well, it's not the regular season's final weekend for you. You're on the West Coast. They have two more weeks.
0: Well, I'm I'm going to the ACC tournament in two weeks, so this That's is right. the last regular season weekend for me. Um, I I don't remember where I'm going to be this weekend. I know there's something going. Oh, you know, I know Arizona's in town. I'll probably see them a little bit. Uh, I would like to get to see Long Beach. Um, those are probably come, some of the stops that are on my itinerary this weekend.
1: And that's right. And then after that, uh, we'll get to see you uh, go out to Stamies Barbecue over in Greensboro and uh, catch some of the ACC tournament in, in Greensboro in two weeks. Very excited about that. So uh, for Aaron Fit, I am John Manuel, reminding you that the Baseball America College podcast is sponsored by ATEC, the baseball training machine company. At ATEC, we're committed to delivering tools to coaches to help train and develop players. Visit ATECSports.com to learn about training machines that can help make your practice more effective and efficient. See training tips and practice drills from Vanderbilt head coach Tim Corbett and more on atechsports.com. Atech A-Tech win every practice. Aaron, I didn't even mention that Vanderbilt won a series on the road at LSU this weekend. We've got to mention that real quick before we go. Commodores yeah. are kind of going to be one of those teams that are they're going to help you get to 64, aren't they?
0: Yeah. You know, they they are in a situation right now where I think if they finish above 500, they're in, and all of a sudden it's become a real possibility because they're they're a game above 500. So if they can win this home series against Ole Miss, take two out of three, let's say, then all you got to do is win one game in Hoover, and then I think you're in. You know, with all the games they played against the the top 25 and the top 50, um, you know, the RPI is in the 30s now. It's you know it'd be it'd be close, but uh, I need help. I need help getting a 64, and so I think I'm gonna hop on the Vanderbilt train.
1: I'll tell you what. I've already got the headline written for the stock report this week. Commodore 64. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, the copy editor in me is very proud of myself. So um, that's well, a very we will small have, part we will of have, my, uh, my body. We we will
0: have Vanderbilt also uh, as a note in in three strikes coming up later t- today, along with uh, Oklahoma with their big sweep and uh, and a little bit on uh, on Ross Stripling of Texas A&M.
1: Yeah, another no-hitter. See. So uh, great stuff, as always, from you. Always enjoy it. Uh, thanks for playing along with the stupid uh, pop culture, uh, 80s pop song references.
0: <laughs> always a pleasure.
1: For Aaron, I'm John. We'll see you next time, and we'll see you later this week for a draft part three megapod. So long, everybody.